You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. We're in Exodus chapter 20, so if you want to turn there, that would be great. Exodus chapter 20. And as you're turning there, just a couple of uh, quick things. One, didn't Valentine do a great job of preaching last week? Man, uh, yeah. I needed Philippians 4 last week. I don't know about you. And uh, Valentine did a great job of giving us Jesus in the middle of Philippians 4. And so, so appreciative of that. I'm so appreciative of Valentine. He has been a brother that God has used to really encourage me in the Lord. And I appreciate that so much about him. And uh, secondly, for those of uh, you men that were able to go to the men's training day yesterday, uh, God was so good to us yesterday. Uh, really kind to us in visiting us in John 15. And so Chuck, a a pastor friend of mine, did a great job of kind of leading us through John 15 and kind of working us through that. And it was just really beneficial. I know from my own soul, talking about abiding in Jesus. And as a church family, I I want us to to have moments like this where we can celebrate. And when I, you know, just looked at that room of men yesterday, there are so many incredible stories woven into that room of, you know, three, four, five years of them showing up at Stonegate here and God just doing some massive work in their life and now they are here. And it is just, I mean, it's something to celebrate. We had people on a panel yesterday that were just sharing some of that and talking about some of that. And it is remarkable how God has graced us with these sort of things. God has been so kind to us to jump into many of our men's hearts and to produce in them deep abiding affections for Jesus. And I am so appreciative of that. And as a church family, I want us to be able to celebrate that on one side. And for us just to keep asking God and pestering God and interceding on behalf of our church to give us more of that. So God has been really kind to many of our men here. And I'm, gosh, I'm just so, so grateful for that. And then lastly, I want to just fill you in just real quickly. On uh, just orphan care at Stonegate, it's, it's a real value for us. And we have multiple families here that are just in the throes of that right now. We have um, one family that over the next few months very well may be adopting kind of through um, fostering, um, of which we're really excited for them. And I would also ask you to pray for Laura and I. We uh, got our first foster placement about six months ago. And uh, man, we've just been on the roller coaster that is that. And if you've been in that world, you know that it's, you know, broken people, ministering to broken people with a broken system, and you're just going to get broken in the midst of that. And we're on the roller coaster of not knowing if um, our placement is going to stick with us or if they're about to go to another person. And, uh, man, we're just kind of in the throes of all that right now. We'll probably hear Thursday kind of where that is. And so um, I'm just kind of getting to the point where I can talk about that without being very emotional. And so I'd appreciate prayer for our family this week in that. Um, It's going to be, you know, just a... We're still on that little roller coaster ride of that, and um, I'd appreciate you praying for us in it. So, with that said, we are in Exodus chapter 20, um, 8, 9, 10, and 11. I'm going to read this, and then we'll, uh, we'll try to work through this this morning. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, in light of that, 
the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is God's word. When I think about the Ten Commandments, you know, I think each of them have unique things about them. So if you can go back to your high school days, you remember that moment where everybody's voting for like most likely to do something, you know, that whole thing? I think if you had like votes for the Ten Commandments, commandment number two would be that commandment would be like the most likely that no one has any idea what it means. That would be commandment number two. Commandment number three would be probably the most likely to be misunderstood. Most people read commandment number three and think like this. If I did not use the Lord's name in a moment of frustration or anger, I'm probably good. If you're here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that one. Um, I hope that you have a deeper appreciation for it's bigger than just that sort of of a moment. When it comes to commandment number four, I think it would be voted most likely the commandment that most needs to be heard in our culture. Mainly because our culture is so busy that it is insane. It is out of control. The the cultural air that we all breathe is hurry, is busyness, is work, 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 accomplish, accomplish, accomplish. I, I was listening to an interview years ago by Bill Gates where he said, I did not take a day off in my 20s. And our culture applauds that as if that is something to be celebrated and that God would look at and say, now that's the sort of thing I'm expecting out of you. And it's not that. Our culture is crazy in this. We have a culture here so go, 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 never stops, never slows down, never stops to enjoy the grace of God in our life. Our culture is on the extreme of busyness. And it's interesting, um, the Chinese have... Two symbols that make up the word busy. And I just think this is very insightful. Two symbols that make up the word. Symbol number one is the symbol for heart. Symbol number two is the symbol for killing. Heart and killing is their word for busyness. Now, I think that's insightful and very biblical. They are on to something in recognizing that busyness has a way of doing deep damage to the soul of a human being like few other things. And and here's the thing. In our culture, it's so prevalent that it's like God has to open our eyes to even see it. It's so everywhere that it feels like you would be fighting against the wind to even push against it. It's such a go, 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 hurry, 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 accomplish this, go there, do that. Here's the next thing. There's the next thing. There's the next thing. And into that culture that is insane and that is us, by the way, In this room, it's us. God looks at us and with the fourth commandment says, would you please open up your hands and allow me to give you the gift of the Sabbath? Would you please take this and take it to heart in your life? Would you please do that? It's a good dad looking at us saying, will you please take this great gift that I wanna give you called Sabbath? So I wanna come at this from a couple of different angles and here's the first one. I want to talk about the Sabbath clarified. Like, what is this command kind of getting at? Let me read through it one more time to help us here. Verse 8, remember. This is how the command starts, remember. Now, now this is, let's just frame the Ten Commandments again here. This is a good dad looking at his kids and saying, I have set you free, now I want you to live free. I've rescued you and redeemed you, now live rescued and redeemed lives. It's a good daddy looking at his kids saying, of all the things in your life, please don't forget this. Remember this. Keep this in front of you. 
Keep recalling this. Remember the Sabbath day. Sabbath is another word for rest. Remember the rest or the Sabbath day. To keep it holy. Now, what does holy mean? Holy means to treat it distinctly. That you would treat this particular day unlike any other day. If you've got seven days that make up your week, that this would be the day that you look at it and you say, every other day is going to look like this, but this is the day that's going to look different from all of these other ones. This day, this one in six days is going to look massively different from the other six. Treat it holy. Keep it holy. It means to keep it different. Now, then he clarifies, what does it mean to keep it holy? What does it mean to treat it differently? Verse 9 tells us, 9 and 10. Verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all of your work. Now, we, after Easter, we are going to talk about this side of this commandment. And here's the truth. You cannot rest well or Sabbath well if you do not work well. So we're going to deal with things like sloth, how to approach a job, how to work for the glory of God. Like that's, that's a massively important part of this commandment. Six days you shall labor. I mean, you should work. You should get your hands dirty and work. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But, verse 10, but here comes the Sabbath day. This is how you treat this one particular day in seven, distinct and different and holy. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work. You shall not do work. Your son shall not do work. Your daughter should not do work. Your male servant should not do work. Your female servant should not do work. Your livestock should not do work. Or the sojourner who is within your gate. So what is the Sabbath? A Sabbath is the one in seven days. It's this six days on, one day off rhythm. Sabbath is that one day of your week where you cease from producing where you stop doing and you contemplate the doing of God for you. It is that one day of the week where you cease from your labor. You let go of your labor. You let go of your job. You let go of that little twinge in you that always has to be doing. You stop doing and you start being. It is that one day out of seven, that six in one rhythm, where you remind yourself that you're not a human doing, that you're a human being. It is that day where you, where you get to pray and play, where you get to re-engage with God. You get to rest and you get to worship. It's that one in six rhythm, that one day out of seven where God says, stop your doing. Remember this day. Don't treat it like other days. You've got six days to do your work. But on this day, you lay your work down and you consider my work for you. You enjoy me and my good gifts towards you. See, and the purpose of a Sabbath day is to give us all Sabbath hearts, to get our hearts unhurried enough, unbusied enough, where we can actually engage with God, where we can actually hear from God, we can actually enjoy God. The Sabbath is that day where we unplug from our work and we engage with God. We, we engage in those things that would replenish our soul. We get ourselves reoriented around the grace of God. That we actually have a God who says, I'm a good dad for you. You can enjoy your sonship under my fatherhood. It's a day for that. Then he goes on in verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, 
and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Now, isn't that interesting? In verse 11, um, God grounds this command of the Sabbath. He grounds this fourth commandment all the way back in Genesis 1 and 2 in creation. Takes us all the way back to the opening two chapters of the Bible. Now, think back to Genesis 1 and 2 for a second. If you have read Genesis 1 in your English Bible, there are some disadvantages to that. If you read it in English, it looks more and feels more like a story. So there is a plot, there is a setting, there's an actor who is doing something, namely God. It reads like a story. But if you were to read that in Hebrew, you would not think that reads like a story. You would think that reads like poetry. There is a cadence to it. You know how like poetry has a way that it should be read? It has a beat to it. It has a cadence to it. It has this rhythm to it. When you read Genesis 1 in Hebrew, you would get a sense of that has like a rhythm. It should be read a certain way. It has a cadence to it. It's got a beat to it. This is what we see in Genesis 1, that there is a rhythm to it. There's this beat to it. Ten times God, you know, the Bible says, the Lord said or God said, Then he creates and he calls it good. It's this rhythm and it's this beat. It's this cadence that's just interwoven into the text in Genesis 1. It's this rhythm that just makes up and it's it's like this music quietly playing in the background of Genesis chapter 1. And so you've got, you've got this, you know, throughout Genesis 1, you've got this idea of, you know, there's morning and there's evening, the, the first day. Then there's evening and there's morning and you've got the second day. You've got night turning into day, turning into night, turning into day. It's this rhythm and cadence. Interwoven and kind of, you know, infused into Genesis 1 is the fact that there's seasons. You know, there's going to be spring that turns into summer, that turns into fall, that turns into winter. And it does it all over again. There's this interwoven music, this rhythm, this cadence, this back behind the background playing in Genesis 1. And Genesis 1 is inviting us into that rhythm. It's it's saying, come into this. Jump into this music and operate your lives like this. Get get inside, you know, get inside of this cadence. Use your life to work into this rhythm and into this beat. Then you jump over to Genesis chapter 2. And a very important part about this rhythm of creation is exposed. Genesis 2, the first three verses sound like this. This is how God has made the universe to work. Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all of the hosts of them. Verse 2, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. Verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Because on it God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. Now I just want to point out two things in Genesis 2 here. In these three verses. In verse 2 we see that God rested. And that wasn't because God is tired. God is showing us how he has wired the world to work. He is showing us this six days on, one day off rhythm. He's showing us that he has wired the universe to work in this sort of a cadence of you work hard and you go at it for six days. And then you take one day to recharge, to replenish, to reorient your heart around God, to rest and to worship, to to, uh, pray and to play. You you get on it for six days and then you get off. You, You go on You you, you work and then you rest. 
He's showing us that rhythm. Second thing is verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day. I think this would be the way that I I would want to articulate this. That the Sabbath day has been preloaded with blessing from God. God has taken that seventh day and he has said, I am going to pour out blessing into that day. I'm going to preload that day with blessing so that everyone who befriends it can expect blessing to break out in their life. Now hear that. He is saying, I bless that day. I've preloaded that day with blessing. So if you will befriend it, if you will take it seriously, if you will walk in Sabbath, if you will keep the Sabbath, here's what you can expect. If you befriend it like that, you can expect blessing to break out in your life. He is alerting us since Genesis 2 of this rhythm. There's six days on, there's one day off. There's six days on, there's one day off. This is the cadence, it's the beat that is embedded into creation. Now, let's talk music for a second. Um, I used this illustration a few years ago, and it's just good enough to describe this moment here and what we're getting at. I'm going to use it again. When it comes to rhythm, rhythm, when it comes to that word rhythm, music, that, that sort of a thing, there's really three categories of people, and I think you can probably relate to this. There's those who have it. You met a few of those guys? I get really jealous of those guys really quickly. I'm like, seriously? That's ridiculous. So there's some who have it. There's some who don't have it. You probably met a few of those. You're like, hey, please do not dance. Just don't do that. You don't need to do that. Rhythm is just not what they have. And then there's some who think they have it, but just don't have it. That's the scariest guy of all right there, right? He thinks that they, I mean, just, he's nailing it. And you're like, you're not nailing him. It's It's just not working for you. Now, this is a hard reality for me to admit. I was in the third category for a long time. I spent way too much time thinking. I I thought I was going to be the next Chris Tomlin for a while. It took me way too long to see that that was just not going to play out. And let me just illustrate some of this for you. Um, This is what I would call a drum set. I don't know anything about it. I have no idea what these uh, different things are in this drum set. I just know it's a drum set. I know these are drum sticks. And I know that rhythm is this. Rhythm is knowing when to play and when there needs to be a rest. It's knowing when to bang that drum and when not to bang that drum. When to hit that and when not to hit that. When to stomp on this and when not to stomp on this. And here's the problem I have when it comes to music and in particular drums. I have no rhythm. Took me way too long to see that, but I just don't have rhythm. So when I think of drums, here's how drums sound for me. I just start hitting things. So I'm just doing this. I mean, we've got, we've got things going, but, but can we all admit, that is not music. We all agree with that? that? That is not music. And here's the reason that it's not music, and here's the reason that what just happened is noise. Because I have no, this is what makes, here's what transforms noise into music, is when we know there needs to be a rest there and you need to play there. That's what turns noise, what just happened, into music. Now, can I introduce you to rhythm real quick? He's got a name. His name is Kevin Jones. So, Kevin, why don't you come on, come on out? <laughs> when I first met Kevin, yeah, there he is, right there. When I first met Kevin, he was a drummer. That's, that's kind of his origins in the music world. And, uh, and Kevin's got rhythm. And Kevin, why don't you illustrate some rhythm on the drum set. 
That sounded a little different, didn't it? Yes. <laughs> but can we all see there's a difference between noise and music? And the difference between what I did and what Kevin just did on the drum set is rhythm. It's knowing when to be on and when to be off. It's knowing when to play and when not to play. It's knowing when to start and when to stop. And the truth is, for many of our lives, they are much more noise than they are music. And here is what the fourth commandment is, is drilling into for everyone in this room. It's drilling into this question. What does your life sound like? Does your life sound like noise or does it sound like music? And you need to answer that. Look at your last week, your last month, and answer the question. Is it noise or is it music? Is there rhythm to it or is there no rhythm? Do I know when to play and when not to play or am I just banging on everything? Your life is either noise or it's music. And see, when it's music, you are walking into what God has created your life to be. But when you lose your rhythm, it turns into the white noise of what many of our lives are right now. Maybe we could just ask it this way. Are you in need of having a six-in-one rhythm where you take one day a week where you slow your life down, where you cease from your working, where you stop your doing and you have a day where you can be, where you can enjoy God? Are you in need of that? And I just can't help, I know many of us here, and I just can't help but know that many of us are in great need of that. We need to be reacclimated and reoriented around this six-in-one rhythm. Um, I remember back doing student ministry, there was one time where I had a bunch of junior high kids in a room. And I asked them, who is stressed out? Now, I was expecting like three of the kids to, to say yes to that. Every kid in the room said yes to, I am stressed out. Now, when, when just thinking through that, I'm like, how does that happen? How could a sixth grader be that stressed out in their life? And you know what I think happens for all of us? We just begin to absorb it from our family and our, and our culture around us. And here's what most junior high kids are learning from their parents and their culture, is your value is tied into your work. So keep doing, keep doing, keep accomplishing, keep going. If you get tired, suck it up and keep going, keep going, keep doing, keep accomplishing. Don't stop, don't rest, just keep, keep it going. Keep performing, keep accomplishing, get to the next thing, get to the next thing. We've got this sports thing, that sports thing, this thing, that thing. Keep it going. This is the culture that is us. And to that, God is saying, when you conform to a sick culture, it doesn't make you normal, it makes you really sick. And we need God's gift of the Sabbath to give us some sort of sanity in our lives. This is what he's getting at in the fourth commandment. God's looking at his kids saying, I don't want your life to be noise. I want it to be music. I want it to have rhythm to it. I want it to align with how I've created the world to work. Six in one, six in one. You work hard your six days and then you rest and you worship on one. Let's talk about Sabbath purposes. Why does God give us this commandment? Why does God tell us we need to think about the Sabbath? We need to pursue the Sabbath. We need to keep the Sabbath. We need to remember the Sabbath and we need to keep it holy. Now there is so much we could say about this, um, but I'm just gonna highlight a couple of things here. 
And when you're thinking about the purposes of the Sabbath, I think it's really important to clue in to one of the things Jesus says about the Sabbath in the New Testament. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus is in a dispute with the religious leaders about the Sabbath. And the dispute rose around this idea. Jesus is walking with the disciples through a grain field, and one of the disciples uh, begins to just break off some of the heads of grain. The Pharisees look at that and say, see, we just told you, you guys are lawbreakers. They're breaking the commandment. Commandment four, they're breaking it right now and and snapping off that, that head of grain. So Jesus tells an Old Testament story about David, and then Jesus finishes that story by saying this. This is Mark chapter 2, verse 27. And Jesus said to the religious leaders, to the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. See, here was the misconception that the Pharisees had. They thought that man was made for Sabbath-keeping. Therefore, the Sabbath then became this huge burden for man. They had all of these things that you could and couldn't do. I mean, it was crazy. And Jesus is clarifying, and we definitely find this freedom in Jesus, who perfectly fulfilled all of our Sabbath keeping. We now find freedom in Sabbath. Jesus reclarifies that no, man was not made for Sabbath, Sabbath was made for man. Therefore, the Sabbath is not meant to be a burden for the people of God. It is meant to be a blessing for the people of God. And when you befriend it, Jesus is saying, you can expect that preloaded blessing to break out into your life. It is meant to be a blessing for us to enjoy. Now with that, let me just work through two two purposes. And we could talk about many purposes as to why God gives us the Sabbath. Let me just give you two. Number one. The Sabbath tunes us into God. The Sabbath has a way of tuning us in to the voice of God. It's interesting. In 1 Kings 19, there is this story about Elijah who wants to hear from God. And uh, so he is readying himself. And then all of a sudden, this big bang, this, this wind comes and sweeps through. And it's ripping the face off of this mountain. But God's voice isn't in this big bang of a wind moment. Then the next thing that happens, this huge earthquake, you know, comes. Big, loud, big bang. God's voice isn't in the big thing. Then you have the next thing come. You have this fire sweep through, just enveloping everything. Big bang again. But God's voice isn't in the big bang. And finally, Elijah hears what he calls the still, small voice of God. And do you know that how many of us are going to hear God is in a very still, small voice? voice. Not going to be yelling. It's going to be way down here like this. The still small voice of God. And do you know the number one reason we don't hear the still small voice of God is because hurry. The white noise of our life is turned up so high that we just can't. It drowns it out. It was really interesting in the training day yesterday, Brad Davidson asked Chuck, the guy that was kind of working us through abiding in Jesus out of John 15. Brad asked the question, what is the number one obstacle to abiding in Jesus? And Chuck's answer, response back to that was, hurry is the number one obstacle. Busyness is the number one obstacle. The white noise in our life just gets turned up so high that we just cannot hear from God. Like if I were to ask you the question this morning, when is the last time you really felt like you have heard from the Lord? You opened up your Bible and read it. 
God spoke in just some other way to you? When is the last time you could say, you know, I really feel like I heard from the Lord here. I'm assuming that for most of us in the room, that goes back a long time. And the reason that goes back a long time is not because God's voice is not active in your life. It's because we are so hurried in our soul that we just can't hear it. And the Sabbath tunes us into that. It allows enough space in our life. It allows enough calm in our life where we begin to hear that still, small voice of God again. And how many of us could use that? And this is what the Sabbath does. It's one of the blessings of the Sabbath. We actually get to be tuned back into God's voice in our life. Here's another reason or purpose for the Sabbath. The Sabbath tunes us into the life-giving purposes of God. Listen to how Mark Buchanan, he wrote a book called The Rest of God on the Sabbath. I would highly recommend it. I think it would be such a good read for many of us to, to spend some time in. But listen to one of the things he says. He said, one measure for whether or not you're rested enough is to ask yourself this question. How much do I care about the things that I care about? Now ask yourself the question. The things that you would look at your life and say, you know, these are the things I really care about. Look at your life now and ask the question, are you really caring about them? One of the ways that you know that you have a Sabbath heart is that you care about the things you care about. He goes on to say, when we lose concern for people, both the lost and the found, when we lose concern for the bride of Christ, for friendship, for truth, for beauty and goodness, when we cease to laugh with our children, when our children laugh and instead yell at them to quiet down, or weep when our spouses weep and instead wish they didn't get so emotional. When we hear news of trouble among our neighbors and our first thought is that we hope it isn't going to involve us. You ever been there? Like we know there's gonna be a ministry opportunity and we're like, dear God, please don't involve me in that. When we stop caring about the things that we care about, that's a signal that we're too busy, that we do not have a Sabbath heart. And one of the things that the Sabbath does for us is give us one in seven days, this six in one rhythm where we can slow our hearts down enough to keep caring about the things that we care about. And I'll just kind of apply this to my life personally. God has given me a wife, but but other than loving Jesus, it's one of the most important things I will do with my life is love her well. I care about that. But whenever I get into a hurried state in my soul, you know what happens? I stop caring about that thing. I care about things I don't care about way more than the thing I care about. That's not good. God has given me a gift in my wife that I should be looking at and saying, how can I communicate daily and weekly? How can I care for you? How can I communicate my deep and abiding love for you? But I don't want to miss that. When I look back over my life, I want to be able to say I cared about that. And a Sabbath is meant to help us care about those things. God has given me a house full of kids. And I'm so appreciative of that. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done and one of the best things that we've ever done. I mean, I want to care about that. the, the, The time our kids will be in our house is that long. And I want to make sure that I care about the things that I care about. And the Sabbath is meant to tune us back into those things that are important in our life. Uh, Let's just apply it in a few other ways. Ephesians chapter 2 is very convincing as it shows us in chapter 10 that when God saves us from his wrath and from hell, he also saves us two things. He has created good works for us to be doing. 
So that means that if you're still breathing this morning, you can bank on the fact that God has things for you to be doing in your life. He has meaty, weighty things for you to be involved in. And let me just give you a couple of those things. Community is one of those things. If you're alive right now, you can bank on this. God has planned and purpose in your life for you to be in deep, rich community. And do you know one of the things that will keep you out of deep, rich community? For you to circle the wagons around your own little life and to never open yourself up to your church family to be in deep, rich community with them is busyness. Busyness will make you care about things that you don't need to care about, and it will make you not care about things you need to care about, namely deep, rich friendships. You will not have deep, rich friendships if you stay as busy as you are. It's impossible. You can't do that. So if you're going to care about the things that we should care about, it means that we need to make sure we've got a six-in-one rhythm in our life. Think about mission. If you're alive right now and you're a Christian, you can know that God is calling you to have your life firmly planted in his mission, to be living on the mission of God. You can know that in your neighborhood, in your workplace, among the nations, that God is saying, if you're alive, I've created you for these things, so get involved in these things. But here's the truth for all of us. When hurry is ruling our soul, we will not care about the things that are most important. We will not care about the eternal destination of people. We'll care about our next little paycheck and our next little thing and our next little this and our next little that, but not the things that really matter. We'll be so cluttered and busy in our heart that we just stop caring about the things that we should care about. I love how C.S. Lewis describes this. He says it this way, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. And I don't think it would be a stretch to say that for, for many of us in the room, the number one way Satan is, is attempting to derail our life and our fruitfulness with God, the number one way is through busyness. Sail on that for a minute. What if that's true? What if in your life right now, Satan's primary objective to derail you and to get you caring about things that you shouldn't care that much about and to keep you from caring about the things you really should? What if his number one strategy in your life right now is busyness? Just more things. Just keep them occupied. Don't ever let them sit and think about their life. Don't ever let them sit and contemplate the grace of God. Don't ever let them slow down long enough to actually hear the voice of God. Don't ever let them sit down long enough to like recalibrate their, their lives around the fact that God's a father, they're a son. Don't, don't let them stop and think like that. Just keep them going, doing the next thing. What if that's the number one strategy? And I just, I'm, I think for many of us, that is the number one way spiritual warfare is playing itself out in our life. And God is saying, let me give you the Sabbath to keep that from happening. Keep the Sabbath, remember it, keep it holy, set it apart as distinct from the rest of your week. Do that so that you can have a Sabbath heart, so that you can hear from me, so that you will care about the things that are most important in your life. The truth is that for many of us in the room, life is passing us by with lightning speed right now. And we are not investing our life in the ways that God would say invested. The most important things are passing us right by and we don't even know it. And God is saying, the reason I've gifted you the Sabbath is so that you would know that and that you would live in the things that matter most. Now let me finish by giving you some practical suggestions. Trying to get on the ground a little bit here and give you some, some ways of moving forward in Sabbath keeping. So let me give you a couple of these here. Number one is 
Okay, I want to talk about this on a daily level for just a moment here. There's a sense in which this six-in-one rhythm is a weekly thing, but I think a Sabbath heart, which is the point of the commandment, the heart of the commandment, has to be pursued daily. And here's one way it has to be pursued daily, through adequate sleep. Through adequate sleep. Now, I don't want to belabor this, but I want to, I just, I think this is a big enough problem in our culture and in this room that I think it needs to be talked about. And, and by the way, we're going to talk about laziness and sloth and sleeping too much. That's coming. But I don't think it's where the majority of people in this room live. <clears throat> the, the average person needs between eight and nine hours of sleep a night. That's one third of every day God is saying, get on your back and sleep. One third. God has wired human beings to work like that. Um, statistics would say that very few of us in this room get nine, or eight to nine hours of sleep. It's much more like down in that six to maybe seven hours of sleep range. Okay, now I want you to look at me right in the eye. I want you to look at me here. And I want you to hear me say this. That is a problem. God, does not, God is not looking at you and applauding you for burning the candles at both ends. Rather, as a good dad, God would be looking at you saying, let me correct this in you. This is not good for you. Please don't do this. You are going to wreck your life if you keep doing that. Now, I'm going to read a quote by a guy named D.A. Carson. He is one of the world's foremost biblical scholars. So we are talking about a, you know, in the top of his class, sort of a theologian. And I want you to listen to an excerpt of his sermon on doubt. So he's preaching a sermon on doubt. And listen to this one component of this sermon. He says this. He says, if you keep burning the candle at both ends, sooner or later you will indulge in more and more mean cynicism. And the line between cynicism and doubt is a very thin one. Of course, different individuals require different numbers of, you know, numbers of hours of sleep. Moreover, some cope with a bit of tiredness better than others. Nevertheless, now hear this. If you are among those who become nasty, cynical, or even full of doubt when you are missing your sleep. Listen to what he says. World-class Bible scholar, listen to what he says. You are morally obligated to try to get the sleep you need. We are whole, complicated beings. Our physical existence is tied up to our spiritual well-being to our mental outlook, to our relationships with others, including our relationship with God. Listen to this next sentence. Sometimes the godliest thing you can do in the universe, now fill in the blank what you think he's gonna say. And listen to what he does say. The godliest thing you can do in the universe, sometimes he is saying, is to get a good night's sleep. Not pray all night, but sleep. Like at eight to nine, whatever you need to sleep. I cert, I'm certainly not denying that there may be a place for praying all night. I'm merely insisting that in the normal course of things, spiritual discipline obligates you to get the sleep your body needs. Do you know, you know, when you think about sleep, it is an act of humility. When you go to sleep, you're closing your eyes, trusting that God will wake you up at the end of this and trusting that in your ceasing from your labor that God will be working for you. See, it's, it's an act of faith to sleep, 
To get in bed at the appropriate time is an act of faith. And it is a spiritual discipline that many of us need to, to grow in. What, what is robbing many of us of the sleep that we need are not even fruitful things. It's the last hour of TV. It's things that at the end of the day do not add to your life, do not add to fruitfulness in your life. It's, it's really frittering ourselves, you know, our time away. It's checking or surfing the internet for the last hour. Just ask yourself, do you really need to check the news then? Do you really need to look at the weather for the 39th time? Or would the most godly thing you could be or could, could do, would, would, might it be to actually get to bed early so that you can get the pr- appropriate amount of sleep for your life? See, he is saying here, we are morally obligated to do that. If you don't do that, there is going to be a payoff that is not good for your life or my life. We are interconnected beings. Our spiritual life and physical life, all of these things are interconnected. We need to be diligent to pursue the Sabbath with daily sleep, appropriate sleep. That means for many of us in this room, I just want you to hear me say this. You need to go to bed earlier than you're going to bed. You need to really work toward that. Here's the second thing. When it comes to Sabbath suggestions, we need to plan for a Sabbath. We need to plan for it. So what that would mean for most of us is the first thing we need to do is actually pick a day that we are going to Sabbath on. If you don't pick a day and calendar a day where you will Sabbath, you will never do it. Stuff has a way of violently invading space in your life. And if you just have free space, stuff will fill that space. So you've got to actually plan a day. You've got to think about what day is that going to be. Now in church history, for most of church history, um, kind of New Testament and beyond, for most of that, Sunday has been the day where the people of God have Sabbath. That has been the normal day for that to go down. And for most of you who in this room, you work a normal kind of a job where you're kind of on a Monday through Friday rhythm, where you've got Saturday and Sunday off, Sunday is likely going to be your day that you need to Sabbath. For most people in our culture, Saturday is kind of your honeydew day. It's the day you're getting projects in around the house. It's that day. So Sunday, probably from like sundown Saturday into Sunday, is the day that most of us should just go ahead and plan. That is going to be our Sabbath. And as soon as we nail that down, this is our day, we have to ruthlessly guard that day. We have to start saying no to things that are going to invade that. We have to say no to a lot of good things that we could even, you know, even like to do for the sake of our soul having space to slow down. We've got to think about that. We've got to, we've got to plan for that. You need to plan. If, if you're ever going to keep a good Sabbath on Sunday, you're going to have to make preparations for that Sabbath on Saturday. You're not just going to wake up on Sunday and have a good Sabbath if you did not plan for it and make appropriate kind of work done on Saturday to allow yourself freedom on Sunday. So we've got to plan for it. We've got to pick a day, we've got to guard that day, and we've got to get our, our, that day ready. We've got to think about how we're going to spend that day. So plan it. The second, or the last thing, is to practice it. To practice it. Now, before I give just a couple of really kind of practical suggestions here, I, I want to say this, just for the sake of the culture of our church. The Sabbath is meant to help us think about and care about the most important things in our life. Now hear me here. No one else in our culture cares if you do that. There is, you're not, chances are, you are not working in a place where people are looking at you and saying, please care about the things that are most important. Think about God more often. 
I hear the, the still small voice of God often. You're not working in a culture like that. The culture does not care if you ever hear the voice of God. They do, they do not care about that. And I want you to hear me say this as one of your pastors here, one of your staff members here. I care about that for you. I really care about that for you. I want to do everything we can as a church family to help you keep a good God-honoring Sabbath so that you can live with a Sabbath heart. So we want to think about our structures at Stonegate. We want to think about our Sundays in light of you for that. This is one of the reasons that we are a more simple church, that we don't have a massive amount of things going, is because we actually want you to be able to Sabbath. So I want you to hear me say this again. I really care about this for you. I really want you to keep a great Sabbath. Now, I want to ask you to do something for me. I want to ask you to equally care about that for your pastors and staff. For if you're like, if you work a job like your staff or your pastors here work, here's what that means for us. Sunday is a work day. I wake up really early on Sunday. I typically work really late on Sunday. And my adrenaline is pumping basically the entire day. It's a long, hard work day for us. And so that means that we Sabbath on Monday. And the only way we will ever Sabbath well on Monday is if you work with us to help us Sabbath on Monday. I wanna work with you to help you Sabbath well on Sunday. And I'm asking you to help us. Pastors need pastoring. And one of the ways you could pastor your pastors and your staff is if you see us doing things that would not fit into uh, to keeping the Sabbath, for you to gently encourage us toward that for you to call us out on that, for you to help us pursue that. We wanna do that for you and I am asking for your help in allowing us to do that and pushing us toward that. We wanna be a church here where the culture is, we want to help one another Sabbath well. So I want you to hear our heart in that. Now, in light of that, let me give you a couple of things because like for all the type A people in the room, you're like, well, give me something to do on the Sabbath, right? And so I wanna give you just a couple of things to think about. Here's one thing. I think it's helpful to frame your Sabbath, so your Sunday, for most of us in the room, your Sunday around two words. I think the heart of the Sabbath is these two words. You pray and you play. Those are your two words that frame the Sabbath. We're gonna pray and we're gonna play. We're going to engage with God and we're going to enjoy the good gifts of God for our life. We're gonna pray and we're gonna play. So for most of us here in the room, that means you're gonna wake up and you're gonna come to church on Sunday morning. You're gonna serve the people of God. You're gonna get to sit under preaching and be encouraged to live well for Jesus. You're gonna get reminded of all that God has done for you so that you can now rest in him. So you're gonna get to do all of that. This is the, the pray component. You're gonna get to teach your kids on a Sabbath the things about God that they need to know. You're gonna get to read the scriptures with them. You're gonna get to pray together with your family. You're gonna get to do all of that with your church family. This is part of keeping a good Sabbath is you being here on Sunday morning engaged with your covenant community. Okay, that's part one of Sabbath. We're gonna pray well. We're gonna engage with God well. Part two of your Sabbath is you're gonna get to play well. You're gonna to get to find those things that rejuvenate you and give you life and energy and you get to do those things. For some of us, we just need to hear this. You have absolute permission to take a nap on your Sabbath. Guilt-free. Guilt-free. Not even feeling bad about it. You, you should feel that permission to stop, to cease from your doing and to engage in things that will give you life and refreshment and rejuvenation. Now, hear what I'm about to say next. 
To play well on a Sabbath, you need to think about fills and drains. Fills are things that are going to help you feel more engaged with God, more alive. They're going to give you energy as you do them. Drains are those things that are going to suck the life right out of you. And a Sabbath is meant to be a day when you play in your fills, where you think about what are the things in life that, that energize me, that God has just designed me to really enjoy these things, and you get to engage in those things. So just, I mean, run down through the laundry list of things. I don't know what your life looks like, but just think about all the things you could do. Mowing the lawn. Um, you know, whatever your hobbies are, if it's playing tennis, is it working out, running, hanging with your family, hospitality, making a good meal for your family to enjoy. Like all of those things could be Sabbath-oriented things. They could be ways that you could play and feel rejuvenated. In God. But you need to do the work in figuring out, do those things give life to me or do they suck the life out of me? And if they suck the life out of you, avoid those on your Sabbath. But keep your life over in the category of what will fill you, what you'll actually feel energized and refreshed after doing. Okay, so with that said, let me just give you a couple of like super practical things. From church history, um, you know, one of the things that uh, people would do is create a Sabbath box. And in that box, they would have a little box set up in their home. And on the Sabbath day, they would put everything that connects them to the outside world into that box. So this would be things like your cell phone that some of you can't keep from looking at like right now. Man, I gotta make sure I stay up to date with this and what's happening over here. It's like, seriously, what is wrong with us? We put in our iPads. We put in our computers. Now, I think if, if we did that once a week, we just had a day where you disengaged from technology, every one of our lives would be better. I think it would free up more space for all of us to hear from God in new ways. So they would put in everything connecting them to the outside world. And they would write on a piece of paper everything that they're worried about in their life right now. And after they would write that, they would put it inside of that box. And then they would pray and they would say something like this to God. God, we are giving you our worries, our cares. We are casting them on you because here's what we're saying on a day like this. We know you care for us. And because you care for us, we are going to cease worrying about all of these things. And then they would enjoy their day. They would gather with God's people. They would serve one another. They would seek ways they could stir up love and good works in one another. They would hear preaching and be encouraged by the word of God as they sit under it. They would hear and read publicly the scriptures with their church family. They would pray with their church family. They would pray together as a family. They would get home and they would enjoy one another. They would enjoy good food. If they're kind of the more extroverted type, they would have hospitality happening where they're having people into their home because that's energizing to them. They actually get to re-engage with their family. I, a spouses actually get to look at one another and, and say, oh yeah, I, we're married. I forgot about that. And they actually get to re-engage and a husband gets to find a new way and a new word to express to his wife, I really love you. And you get time to slow down and reconnect with your kids. Like you, you actually get time to stop long enough to see that when they smile, there's that little cute dimple right there that is just awesome about them. And as you pull into your home, you get to slow down just enough where you realize that the tree in your front yard is not just green. It's really like a million shades of green. 
You just get to slow down enough. When you put the food in your mouth, you realize there are like a plethora of flavors bursting in your mouth when you put it in there. You actually get to think about that. You get to slow down long enough to consider the goodness of God. You get to take a nap. You, you get to get yourself back into the rhythm that God's created here. You get to turn off the TV and enjoy God's good creation. You get to go for a walk, not to burn calories, but just because. You get to work out. You get to mow the lawn if that's what you enjoy doing. You get to go play tennis if that's what you enjoy doing. You're getting to breathe in God's gifts to you. You're getting to re-engage with the God of the universe. You get to put your kids down early that night. You get to snuggle up with your spouse on the couch and remember the goodness of God. And as you close your eyes that night, you get to remember you have a God who has called himself Father that promises you can let go of the world because it's in my hands. That's a Sabbath. Let's pray together. I want to give you just a moment to allow the Spirit of God to press into you the things that would be most helpful and to wipe away the things that wouldn't be and that God would just begin to clarify these things for us. And you know, the, the truth is that for most of us in the room, the reason we can't Sabbath, the, the reason we can't let go of our phone, the reason we can't cease from our doing and producing and achieving, it's an identity issue for us. It's because our worth in life has been equated with our work. So if we work little, that means that we are worth little. And do you know what the good news of Jesus frees us up to acknowledge? Is that that isn't true. Our identity is not in our work. Our identity is in the work of Jesus for us. Our identity is not in what we do, what we accomplish. It's in what Jesus has done for us. That's where our identity is. I think it's so interesting that in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God works. And after he works, he says, it is finished. And then he rests. Then you fast forward to the end of Jesus' life. He has worked with his life. He has perfectly kept the commands of God. And with his last breath, he screams out, it is finished. And his, it is finished. His work now frees us to rest. And some of us just need to be reminded of that today. That the work of Jesus for you has secured everything you're trying to find in your work. That Jesus' work has given you the significance you crave. It has given you the approval that you long for. The security that you long for. So the, the biggest thing we could say about the fourth commandment is that it points us to Jesus who allows us to cease from all the different ways we are trying to earn and work for our righteousness and presentability before God. And it allows us with open hands to receive from Jesus his work for our righteousness. And that's where rest comes from. That's where an unhurried soul is birthed. So that means that in this room, there are some of us who for the first time need to turn from our work and our rebellion and our sin. And we need to throw ourselves 
upon Jesus and his work for us, his life, death, and resurrection. And we need to receive Jesus' righteousness for us. We need to hold up our hands and say, God, here's my life. I am trusting that Jesus' work will cover all of my sin and rebellion. And God, when we do that, looks at us and says, I would love to give you his righteousness. I would love now to free you to be able to rest in your life. And so if that's you, man, God just stands so ready and so willing this morning to rescue and redeem you, to apply the righteousness of Jesus to you so that now you can actually rest when it comes to how you're relating to God. And if that's you, then, uh, you know, you can fill out that, that black portion of the card under your seat. Check that box on establishing a relationship with Jesus. And we would so love to walk beside you in that. And for those who are in Christ this morning, here, here's the truth for us. We need to be rescued for our, from our tendency to equate our work into our worth. We need to be rescued from that for about the millionth time this morning. Like right now, we need to be rescued again by the grace of God for that. I mean, I'm just praying right now God would be doing that in you. Help convincing you that because of Jesus' work, you can rest. You can actually take a day off where you enjoy the goodness of God. So God, would you help us in this? God, we want to be a church who honors the fourth commandment, who remembers it. God, will you help us spur on one another in this? God, will you help us to repent right now in this moment in the ways that would be appropriate so that we can actually begin keeping the Sabbath? God, will you help remind us that this is all blessing from you, no burden. This is your goodness expressed to us. And it's in your good name that we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.